Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. And welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic. But rather than making specific recommendations because everyone's circumstances are different, we talk to subject matter experts about how they would recommend thinking about that decision. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia, which is where we are recording today. Brady Ware is sponsoring this podcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator, and please also consider leaving a review of this podcast as well. Today's topic is about exporting, and should I export? And I think this is a, I think this is a very interesting topic because um, we're, we're, we're bombarded with messaging all the time that we're in a global economy, and you know, in order to maximize the value of a business that we need to be sending our products abroad, um, we need to sell, be selling to different countries, we need to be doing things internationally. And, and of course, to some extent, international business is sexy. I mean, who doesn't like to, the opportunity to maybe mix a little bit of business and pleasure going to, to, to Brussels or to Paris or to Hong Kong? Um, but, you know, the, the reality is once you take a look at, at doing business internationally and exporting, it's it's not all that easy. Um, there are all kinds of barriers that 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 have to be overcome, and, and it turns out that that selling into Rome, Italy, is very different from selling into Rome, Georgia. And um, yeah, I can think of no better person to help us walk through this topic than uh, my dear friend Gene Plavnik. Uh, Gene and I have been friends for, I'm going to say, going on about 15 years now. I think it's about that long. Um, I had no gray in my beard at the time. That's how long ago it was. Uh, and I had one son at the time. And uh, uh, Gene is founder and president of Heat Technologies Incorporated. Um, he has more than 25 years of experience in research, development, commercialization of various high-efficiency, low-emissions energy technologies for a cross-section of industries, um, including paper and film converting, printing, boilers and water heaters, utilities, incineration, paper production, cement production, and steel making. He's also originally from my adopted second hometown of Minsk, Belarus. He holds a Master of Science in Heat and Mass Transfer Engineering. And Gene founded his company excuse me, here in Atlanta in 1996. And, and the company specializes in the, the development of manufacturing and sales of next-generation commercial and industrial heat-drying equipment for both uh, industrial and advanced residential uh, uses. They're also working on additional technology projects, including development of high-efficiency water-based energy equipment for consumer and commercial applications, and they have several patents on technology both here and uh, and and across the world. Um, Gene, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for coming on. You're most welcome, and uh, thank you for inviting me. So, you're not a a large company necessarily. When we think of 
of companies that do business internationally, especially here in Atlanta, you know, we think of Coca-Cola, we think of Arby's, we think of Newell Rubbermaid, but you're not as big as those companies, are you? Not at all. We're a small business concern, um, S corporation formed in Atlanta. Um, we have uh, basically two design engineers. We have several contractors that help us to build our equipment here in uh, Atlanta metropolitan area. We have several electrical contractors that help, uh, help us to build control systems. Um, and we quality control our equipment, assemble it, quality control it, and sell it in the United States, North America, South America, you know, worldwide. And your global headquarters is just a, an office in your home, right? That is correct. So what was the first country you started exporting to? Germany. And why, why was it? That's interesting. I got to come back to that one. You know why. Um, why Germany? Um, Germany is an engine of Europe. Uh, 41% of European GDP is manufactured in Germany. Um, as a country, Germany managed to preserve its works with a global economy to preserve its workforce. And also German culture is in in a, a kind of a very susceptible to innovation. We all know from the 15th, 14th centuries how many inventions were formed and, and brought to the world by German inventors, by German explorers. Um, another kind of a touch to it was our technology is energy efficient. And energy efficiency in general in Europe is more acute and uh, uh, important in uh, kind of a, to requires attention and, and also goes along with German culture. And I can give you later on an example how, you know, impressed I was with, uh, with uh, savings, everyday energy savings by ordinary German citizens. So Germany was our first step in, in general, in plain English, if you sell to Germans, then you can sell to, to the rest of Europe because they're very critical, very conservative customers, um, very skeptical customers, and very intelligent customers. So if you can sell to intelligent, skeptical customer, he becomes your best advocate. So there's a, a, a good match that, you know, obviously you know, Germany is renowned for their engineering. They they appreciated and appreciate your engineering, right? Because you have some highly engineered, obviously patented uh, intellectual property there, and so you knew that there that there would be a match. And, and as that driver of Europe, as you said, you know, once you kind of get in Germany, into Germany, what a great reference customer, right? Then it's got to be easier to sell to France and Italy and. You are correct. You, you most likely will have a good, you, you'll have a good, uh, uh, reference that if people understand that you sell to, uh, Germany, then you can sell to anyone else. Or at least you, they know that there is installation, there is a reference. Even though that sometimes this reference is confidential, but, but, uh, I guess word of mouth, internet, uh, discussions between, you know, within the industry, 
will open the doors of other of the group other customers now how how did you make that that first sale did 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 a german customer somehow find you did did you go to a conference did you go door to door someplace in berlin i mean how how did you kind of connect with that first german customer we you're absolutely right once you once you make a decision to sell internationally, then you need to worry about distribution somehow. So what we did in our particular case, we went to a trade conference. At that time, it was uh, 2011 in Chicago. And over there, we met a European president of European uh, similar association in Europe and who happened to have uh, contact right there at the conference, uh, a German-based company that sells here. So we established the contact there, and uh, after some negotiations, we established a sales agreement with this particular group, and we start selling through them. And it's interesting to note that uh, there are two important sales, strategic sales channels uh, continuously occur to us. Sales channel number one, it's internet. We use Google Analytics to look at, you know, basically who was visiting our website and the privacy law does not really allow you to see much, but sometimes you can get a website name. And at that time, one German company was spend a lot of time on our website. So that was one channel. Uh, we gave this name to our German friends. They approached appropriate parties. You, they also need to, you need to select your, your sales channels appropriately. It depends on what you sell. If you sell commodities or if you sell high end equipment. So if you, if you start offering or start give representation to a company that sells commodity and ask him to sell high end equipment, value added equipment, Nothing will happen out of it. So you need to worry about distribution. You need to find right agents, so to speak. And in in your mind, I mean, is is selling to a German customer different from selling to an American customer? And you touched about the touched on this a little bit, but it's worth it's worth underlining. Absolutely, you know that. That that must have meant that you hired a German distributor that understands the language of selling to Germans, right? It's got to be different than selling to an American customer. It is different, and it is critical, I would say, to have appropriate representation, not only someone who understands how to sell technologically from engineering point of view, if you wish, or industry point of view, uh, but uh, it's important uh, for someone to know the culture, to know industry culture. Even not a, like a general culture, but industry culture in Germany is different than industry culture in the United States. So the sale is different. Um, and you learn as you go. So uh, you have to trust your partner. Um, you have to spend a lot of time yourself in Germany because if you start selling internationally, your international company, partners, whatever customers, prospects, they want to see you. They want to know you exist. They want to not to touch you, but know that this is a real person. He is here and, and I personally spent so much time in Germany. One of my customers said that he will not allow me to be in his office without German green card. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So there's there's also a number of formalities of exporting, of course. Um, Customs, freight, other kind of formalities. How, How do you handle those? Do you take care of those yourself? Is there a separate company you outsource that to? How do you how do you work through that? Um, there are some things that one needs to do himself, whether it's a big company or a small company, but there are certain standards that are available or guidelines, I would say, that are available on a website of U.S. Department of Commerce that explain to American companies willing to export its equipment or products what needs to be done. So, uh, in our case, components of our equipment needs to be compliant with certain um, European standards, and there is mu- there must be a list of these standards and signature of authorized persons. So this needs to be done by us. Um, there must be description of equipment with some photographs. Uh, also needs to be done by us. It needs to be kept, uh, uh, one file needs to be kept uh, indefinitely at the company and uh, um, one other file will be with with your local distributor in Germany. So these things need to be done by the uh, company itself. The rest of it can be easily done by uh, freight broker, custom broker, your choice. Typically, we select a company that takes care of that. We outsource, completely outsource process of freight going through customs, etc. We need to help you broker, uh, and everyone needs to help its broker, to identify the equipment in National Harmonized Industrial Codes or commercial codes. So uh, if it's a mineral water, should be bottled mineral water and 750 milliliters bottles and glass, plastic, and et cetera, et cetera. In our case, it's a, it's a equipment for a specific dryer for printing industry or dryer for converting coating industry. This is a harmonized code. This is how much it weighs because the, the freighter well, you have to insure it. You have to, you know, you cannot not to take insurance. So you have to insurance and it helps your freight provider to appropriately insure the equipment or insure your product. Regardless, it's a general requirement. And then uh, you can get your quote and uh, uh, basically paperwork is extremely important because your your product can get stuck at a custom of destination. We had one case when it was stuck without any reason, you know, in Italy actually. Uh, uh, it it sits uh, it sits and uh, it was basically in customs for several weeks simply because there was not properly uh, commercial invoice. One of the documents was not properly filed according to this particular country. So your freight provider should be skilled and qualified to do that. I think it's a wise decision to actually outsource these services and not to have this headache. Now you talked about insurance. What what what, what kind of insurance? Is that insurance for your equipment in transit to make in case it were damaged? Or what, what kind of insurance are you talking That's about? That's exactly right. Okay. We're talking about equipment uh, uh, insurance in transit until it reaches destination. 
and, and you know what, what what you make these industrial dryers they are not they're not the largest pieces of equipment in the world but they're also bigger than a laptop so do do you find that you tend to ship more by by sea or by air freight in our case it's always air freight it is customer okay. it it but it's based it's a customer based pr- uh, process so you always ask your customer how would you like it to be shipped and because our equipment more or less compact the difference between air freight and ocean freight is negligible so we offer customers these quotes at what would you like uh because customer is ultimately the one who pays for it so customer also can say you know what don't worry about the freight I have uh, um, my own freighter. He will approach you. All you need to do is provide documenta- documentation he requests, and it would be power of attorney, commercial invoice, some standard. Again, uh, 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 the best information we found was on the website of Department of Commerce, U.S. Department of Commerce. So once you address it, it's more or less uh, more or less easy. Hmm. Okay. So uh, that's interesting. So. When when you designed your equipment, was that was that a deliberate feature to make sure it could be compact enough to shift by ship by air freight, or was that just sort of a a happy circumstance? I would recommend to look into it. By accident, we never had any problems, but yes, there are restrictions by height and by weight, uh, by size of a container that uh, uh, will be taken by air freight or. There are cargo planes and, you know, passenger planes. So if equipment is small enough, it can go into passenger plane. We just don't know about it. But if equipment is uh, of larger size, it can go to commercial plane. And it's a different schedule, different delivery, uh, a lot of different things. Um, we did ship to uh, by, uh, by ocean, again, at the customer request. And loading of our equipment Onto container was a big deal, and we also prefer we outsource it to the company who does it for a living. And I do recommend to do so because they will do a proper loading, they will do proper security, properly secure equipment, anything. It just it's not specific to our industry. It just needs properly done properly, and it makes a big difference when when uh, equipment is received at the port of destination if you ship it by ocean. So how many countries are you exporting to now? Our main focus is, was, um, and is, is European Union. Uh, we have installations in Croatia, in Italy, in Germany. Um, we have installation in several in Italy, actually. Uh, we have installation in Malaysia, um, and uh, right now, we are looking into South Korea, Japan, and uh, Singapore. I can tell you why. These countries respect intellectual property, which is intellectual property theft is a big deal. It's a big threat in general to our economy. I'm not advocating anything. I'm giving you the reality uh of that and and that's why we tend to stay away to uh developing countries such as India and China but let's 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 dive into that you can talk about this at whatever comfort level that you have but you actually just finished a large intellectual property dispute with 
a German company of all things, which is not what we would expect, right? The stereotype is, like you said, China, India, other developing countries without the same legal background are not as respectful of intellectual property. But of all the places you've been, Germany caused Germany is a source of a of a big problem. How how were you very surprised by that? Shocked. It it came as a shock because we would never imagine that we will be fighting this particular company in general. Um, and uh, again, it came out as this country respects in, uh, intellectual property, and it, it's a lengthy uh, process. We uh, we lit- were litigating this company by German law in Germany, and uh, apparently we won the case because Germany, as a country, res- is a country of law. It respects intellectual property, so that's why. And that took what about two years? Three. Three years. Yeah. And it's not over yet because uh, in bylaw in Germany, losing for a party can file for appeal. Right. And from one appeal to another appeal. So, but we, the first step is important. We, it was, I was actually very much impressed that panel of judges in Germany decided to completely decide to rule the case in our favor. Absolute. There was no left and right. So even the, the even though the, the 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 starting bad news was that your German partner proved to be uh, unreliable at at a country level at least you know you're able to prevail even though you're in effect the visiting team right and I don't know that companies that go to China and other countries feel like that if they're a foreign company in a legal process that they would necessarily have confidence they're being treated fairly but clearly clearly you were. Yeah, it was a customer, actually. It was not a partner. It was a customer, a very reputable company, but um, on the outside, on on the inside, uh, some of the co-industry, so-called, I would say partners, but, but some of the competitors, if I may say so, call them Chinese of Germany. So, hmm. unfortunately. So, but... Uh, um, Intellectual property is important, and that, and therefore, the the choice of your sales country where you plan to sell is also important. Because uh, imagine it, what will happen in in huge economy like uh, China or India with with uh, unlimited resources and different perception of law. Sure. Um, so I'm curious. You know, you're you're born out outside the United States, but you've been here for over 30 years, if I remember correctly. Um, do, do you think that, that your bicultural, your bilingual nature gives you an advantage in exporting because it gives you sort of a, a, a perspective maybe not all Americans necessarily have of how other cultures think, how they address things? No, I, I wouldn't say so. It just, I guess, nature of the beast by nature, I... From being very reserved and quiet boy, I became a, a fighter. And, uh, that's the only reason that you need to, you need to basically keep your fire. You need to keep your, um, spirit high. You need to, don't let be depressed. Don't let yourself be 
be overwhelmed by situation, get tougher than the situation, and try to kind of make right decisions along with your emotions. That's a le- all lessons actually I learned in this country. So I wouldn't say that uh, my uh, uh, foreign background uh, somehow influenced. Actually, it's more or less for most people it's it's a fear you know going outside and etc and i would would highly recommend all american companies start looking outside of the country because very few american companies actually sell and we have a lot to offer as a country as in you know a level of our engineering uh we just underestimate, as as I think our engineers, our industries, under and in that company, underestimate their ability to sell worldwide. Well, I I like to drill down on that a little bit actually, because I think the hardest part is is getting started. So, you know, in your case, if I understand the story correctly, you you identified Germany as as a likely customer. Maybe there's a little luck involved because you found out that they were scoping out your website and so you followed up on Google Analytics, right? But because you're paying attention to your website, which is, of course, your storefront to the entire planet, right? You're able to, to identify a lead, right? And the hardest thing about business is, is finding that lead. But then once you have that lead, and I'm guessing you, then your first customer, the second one, the third one becomes so much easier because now you kind of have a foothold. You've learned some things. You're, you're, you're generating money from abroad, which means it's easy to make that investment. Is that a, is that a fair way to describe it? Yes, absolutely. Once you made your first sale, your confidence is up. You can give customer a discount for disclosing the name. Usually, you know, it's doesn't come free. And uh, um, you may have an agreement with a customer even to show non-compete, you know, to other industries because there are common issues, maintenance, energy usage, uh, reliability, service, and so forth and so on. They are valid through cross-cast of equipment. You have to know secrets how, you know, something is made, but you can ask these questions and see equipment in operation. So, yes. Uh, we're still working on it. I mean, France is the next frontier. We don't have anyone and anything in France, but we're working on it. What do you think your first step will be to make that first sale in France? What, what is your what is your strategy? Same. We need to find the right company that would uh, be interested in representing us and would be qualified to represent us. We change our distributors. We had uh, we had at some point we had. Two um, personal or and a one big company in Switzerland, and we decided to discontinue the relationship. Why? Very simple reason: they were selling um, commodities. They were selling parts, inks, coatings. You know, commodities. They were not selling value-added equipment, and we transferred it to industry expert who became uh, a sales expert because of the knowledge of the industry, and then. Uh, things change, you know, right in front of us. Um, we went through the steps. You know, you need to make, you know, be prepared to make tough decisions and stand by your words because if someone generates uh, a lead or initiates a sale and then you fire him 
and we give one year, for example, if it happens within a certain period of time, we pay him commission. Even we are not happy, etc. We don't want any bad relationship. So we, you need to act responsibly. You need to be tough, and you need to be noble. You need to hold your word. That will will create your reputation. Uh, and, and and never never cheat your salespeople out of commission. Not <laughs> ever. No, I mean, that, that's no, a, that's no. a disaster. That is a disaster. So. Um, do, do you think you'll find this French distributor at a trade show? Maybe will you go to France and go to a trade and industry show, or do you think you'll find them on the internet? How do you, how do you think you'll find something like that? I will call a U.S. embassy in France and ask a, a, a trade attaché to help. That's basically will be my. We try to work with various channels like at Georgia Department of Economic Development. To find anything, unfortunately, with all they desire, we didn't get to get the response we want. And uh, so my my plan is, A, I met someone at a trade show in Germany, and he's a potential customer. He is a user of a technology. So I'll call him and tell him, Jean-Pierre, I need your opinion. We need someone to represent us. Do you have anyone that you like? In person, not necessarily you. He will sell you, but you would you would recommend them. So that's what I would do. You need to know someone in the industry. And the second is, I I believe that uh, uh, today with the today's administra- uh, administration attention to intellectual property and international trade, I think you can get better response uh, if you approach U.S. embassy in a particular country with yourself. So these are two. Two channels that, that I'm planning to pursue. Now, I'm I'm very glad you you brought that up because I did want to ask you. Uh, of course, that the United States, as every country, would like to increase their exports. Right? It's obviously an economic driver. Um, you mentioned the state level wasn't all that helpful. You talked about contacting the embassy, which, which is which is interesting. Um, I'm not sure I necessarily would have thought about that. What about national programs such as XM Bank or things of that nature? Have you found resources like that to be useful? Yes, I believe that is useful, even though we didn't use it. Um, we typically base our sales on cash as a secondary, as a letter of credit. So we prefer cash, and because it's a high-end, high-value equipment, with high-end components in it, we want 90% of the price to be paid before we ship at any conditions. But customers are 10, 20, 40, and we tell them, that's fine, but we will not ship before 90. U.S., overseas, anywhere in the world, we will not ship before 90. And sometimes, sometimes excuse me, if 10% is a sizable uh, chunk of money, if you wish, I would rec- highly recommend to go to Exim and use Exim. Exim is a good program. Uh, it is kind of a somewhat slow program because there are set, certain periods of time you need to kind of uh, six months need to expire. You need to approach your customer so many times and so then Exim will help you to reimburse some cost, etc. But I would recommend to a company that... Uh, uh, you know, different than us uh, to use Exim programs. So, what are some of the what are some of the key lessons that you've learned? What would you do differently, knowing now, if you, if you'd had to do it all over again? 
there was one little glitch in uh, one of the sales in Indonesia, uh, and I want to basically. We also sold with a ninety. Well, it was LOC, LO, uh, letter of credit based sale. Customer insisted, purely insisted, but it was forty percent upon delivery. In a in basically uh, uh, after processing the custom. So since it was Indonesia, not Germany, he had some connections and took his uh, chief financial officer to the port and grabbed the equipment before paying forty percent of the price. So so letter of credit. You need to be careful. You need to proceed um, with caution on on your sales. Um, I, I probably deviate from the question. What was the question again? Well, I, I think you're answering it. So I asked you about, you know, what, what's a mistake if that I you learned do, a lesson from? If I from? do it again, yeah. I would still insist instead of letter of credit, I would insist on cash terms. Um, it depends on industry. It's, it's, you know, it's that, that's what we insist on. That's what we prefer. I don't know how it is done in different industries, but in my point of view, uh, try to get as much money up before customer, you know, customer needs to see that your equipment are ready or your product is ready. At this point, try to get as much money as you can, not because you want to rip them off, it's a fixed price, but uh, if there is a conflict, then you have more leverage, you have more money left in for for the equipment or product that you manufacture or acquired and resell, et cetera. Well, as I say, possession is nine-tenths of the law, right? And it's probably nine-tenths of the law for import-export as well. Yes, that's correct. Um, Gene, this, this has been great. I've, I've learned a lot. I know our listeners will, will learn a lot. If, uh, if somebody wants to contact you, maybe find out more about exporting or they even they just want to learn more about your equipment, how can they contact you? By uh, our website, there is an info at... Uh uh, you know, re- request for information if they just put subject and surpri- uh, you know provide with appropriate question and email, we will be glad to respond. That's heattechnologiesinc.com? At heattechnologies, info at heattechnologiesinc.com. All right, very good. Well, that's going to wrap it up for today's program. I'd like to thank Gene Plavnik very much for joining us and sharing his expertise with us today. We'll be exploring a new topic each week, so please tune in so that when you're faced with your next business decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can help them. Once again, this is Mike Blake. Our sponsor is Brady Ware & Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast.